Boom, put boom, boom, A side, B side, what side are you on? All right, welcome back to A side, B side podcast. I'm Brooke. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing well, and you? Uh, you know, so last week was Christmas, um, and we didn't do a whole lot. We kind of didn't go traditional. I didn't even decorate this year for Christmas. We had Mexican food. I didn't get to see my oldest till after all things considering pretty good. How about you? Uh, I'm just waiting for the holidays to be over. This is not my favorite time of year when it's cold and we're in lockdown up here in Minnesota. So just kind of wait until the sun comes up soon. Does the sun ever shine in Minnesota? Doesn't feel like it right now. I mean, it's real gray. Like the sun will come up and it'll just get us like a slightly different color outside, but it's just <laughs> cloud cover. So it's not like you really get to see the sun some days and that gets real frustrating. And of course it's, you know, some of the shortest days of the year. So it's like the sun just makes like a cameo appearance. What about snow like happening right now? Did you guys get hit with that snowstorm? Oh yeah. We've, we've had, we had definitely had a white Christmas. We've had uh, like, Last week, probably every other day, we get some sprinkling of snow. Uh, we got some this morning. We're supposed to get some tomorrow, I think. Uh, so it's just kind of been consistent. Everything's white and frozen. And that just adds to the sort of like monochrome, like hothness of what's going on. Um, this is not a serial killer we have referenced, but. We'll talk about your all-time transitions. I know, right? <laughs> I know. So, of course, we talk about serial killers here a lot. But the goal here is to talk about stories that you don't normally hear. Well, this is a story you probably didn't hear until recently when he was caught this year, Samuel Little. I can still say I, I haven't heard his name because I, I missed that. So he was caught. Okay. A few months ago, I believe it was. And uh, he was caught like in the summer, I believe it was. And of course, we talked about the Grim Sleeper and the fact that it's rare, more rare to Mm -hmm. hear of a black serial killer. Well, Samuel Little is also a black serial killer, and he has now been deemed by the FBI as the most prolific serial killer in u.s history congratulations sam yeah go big or go home i guess he confessed to over 90 murders he was serving multiple life sentences for 90 that's what he's confessed to wow they have proven three he was actually serving three life sentences for three deaths like I said, the FBI has deemed him as the most prolific serial killer in history. He's 80 years old, and they just pronounced him dead today. Wow. How, how did, how did, was, he certainly wasn't executed. That would be too quick. No, they have not, they have not determined an official cause of death yet. Of course, they're going to take their time. It's COVID. You know, they're going to do an autopsy and all that, but um, 80 years old. I'm sure he didn't look like he was in the best of health anyway, mm-hmm. but at least they caught him before he died. So like from a number standpoint, if, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Little was to off himself, does he get to count that? I guess so. 
Yeah. So you remember the Grim Sleeper, he took pictures of all of his victims. Yeah. Samuel Little, he drew for F- the FBI, he drew for authorities all of his victims by memory. So he could have just become like a police sketch artist instead of a serial killer. <laughs> or both. Yeah, I guess. He just was doing it in reverse. Yeah. Not like, here's the guy we want to find. It's like, here's the guy I killed. So you found me. So let me draw this for you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. But uh, that just came down. So I wanted to make sure that we mentioned that. And again, like I said, you know, when you hear of serial killers, especially in mainstream media, of course, you hear about the Ted Bundys and the Ed Ed Geens, excuse me, and the uh, John Wayne Gacy's but you don't hear about the Lonnie Franklin's and the Sam Littles and you see both of them are, are so prolific in numbers that it's like, Oh my gosh. But also the victimology, their victims were black victims. So they, mm-hmm. of course, we're not getting as, not as investigated, right. Not as valued. Mm-hmm. Uh, switching it up on you again on a more positive note. Right. Have you seen the, like have you that. seen the new wonder woman? I have. I actually, uh, I think I watched it on Christmas Day. Okay. So maybe it was the day after Christmas. I don't know. All the days tend to blend together. Yeah. Um, I thought it was good. I mean, I, I. It's not the first one. I said it was good. I liked the first one a lot more. Yeah. Um, I. I just felt like bringing back Chris Pine's character was just. It, it was felt cheating. Really like we didn't. We didn't like. I don't think there was this big need for him to come back and like have some sort of it's just kind of then we did the whole thing again you know it's like ah whatever you know it's just it just felt like a cheap trick yeah it felt like a distraction it's Mm -hmm. like let's i don't know that it added all that much to the movie that couldn't have been that role could have been played by i mean i just didn't really add a lot yeah so uh and i and i love chris pine like i i mean one of the movies that I forgot to return to uh, Redbox, and so I end up owning at a very expensive price down the line, was the Chris Pine, uh, Reese Witherspoon, and uh, Tom, his, uh, Tom. Uh, Tom. Yeah, yeah, Tom. Uh, he played Bane. He was in Mad Max. Yeah. Um, he, he played a very young clone of Captain Picard in arguably the worst Tom Star Hardy. Trek. Tom Hardy, yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the name of that movie because I have it on DVD because I forgot to return it. And I love Chris Pine. So I thought it was, I was excited. This Means War is the name of the movie. Yes. And it's a very fun romantic comedy, which is also slightly an action movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really deals with something that I'm sure we've all had to go through. It is trying to, you know, battle and stating two people at the same time while they're trying to kill you. <laughs> I mean, like, that's a typical Thursday. I mean, yeah. I mean, boy meets girl, girl meets other boy. Both other boys are spies. I've mean, <laughs> seen it a thousand times, but I thought this one had a new uh, a new twist on it. So I, I just didn't feel like Chris Pine, like that character, having that guy come back. Uh, it was like they were just trying to shoehorn a romance angle in there, but then like not really do anything with it. Uh, I thought that they horribly underused Kristen Wiig's character. Uh, I felt like there could have been a lot more there. Um, 
but maybe that's just because I've been waiting for this movie for like a year and a half thinking they were going to have these epic battles and they really only had a couple what what did you think of Kristen Wiig as a, a villain uh I mean they also really like there was the opportunity to really make it sort of a to make her the bad guy but I don't think they believe they didn't think anyone would believe Kristen Wiig was like full-on bad right so they kind of did this like tortured soul overcome it, it was like a really vanilla version of Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman from Batman Returns uh and that I guess it felt like there could have been a lot more to it I will say Pedro Pascal always plays an amazing role always does an amazing job he's an amazing bad guy yeah I totally forgot he was I did I like am watching the movie and all of a sudden he shows up and I'm like hey <laughs> totally spaced that so I thought it was it was decent I do like the first one much better mm. I will say this no spoilers just like you would a Marvel movie sit through the entire thing because yeah. end credits are a thing now and everything I mean we were at, at work tonight we had the TVs going so while we're, we're getting food out the door and uh, the new Jumanji movie was playing. And then there was a after credit scene in the new Jumanji movie. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's like everybody, everybody's doing it. So you got to, and the thing is, I used to love sitting through the credits and seeing all those names because I always dreamed that my name would be somewhere mm -hmm. in a movie production. And that's the great thing about acting is I can do that until I die. And if I have the right agent, I could just be a dead body after I'm a dead body. Uh, so I'm going to be in a movie someday. Okay. You know, I'm going to be in the credits somewhere. Uh, but now you really do have to sit through and watch and like figure out who the best boy is and the gaffer and the first grip and second grip and all those really strange titles. Don't you still have an IMDb page? I do. Yeah, I do. I think you're famous. I I don't know yeah, about that. Yeah, there it is. I, I pulled it up right there. Why wow. is your picture not up there, though? You got to pay for it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so you all you really do need to do uh, to get an IMDb page is be in, in any movie that's listed, and then you can... Uh, add details uh it's basically like you know you got linkedin you got linkedin pro or plus or something right, so you get yeah. more options uh imdb pro is their thing so if i were to pay for it i could then upload a headshot and give myself a bio and everything okay yeah all right not something i've i've explored doing recently but definitely have explored doing that in the past and I kept trying to add my other credit to it, even though I was an uncredited extra, but it still counts because you can see me in a scene, mm -hmm. but they wouldn't let me, I have to pay money to add that credit too. Well, boo. Well, you know, hey, it's neat to have one. And it's, there are only a couple Adam Weingartens in the world. I am friends on Facebook with all of them. Oh, nice. Uh, and I am definitely not the most famous. There's a guy who was a high was a, college quarterback at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga and now is a a football coach at a pretty big high school in uh, Alabama and often is mentioned in the papers and his kids go to like you know sign to play 
big time college ball. So yeah, uh, but you're the only one on IMDb. So this is true. This is true. And uh, there, I do still in the height of uh, egotism or narcissism. I still have a Google alert set up for whenever my name is mentioned. It's usually not me. <laughs> Did you see the new Mulan? Or well, it's been out for a while. I just saw it for the first time. Uh, I did not. I heard read a lot about how things were going to change, um, and that there was some speculation that a lot of it was being influenced by the Chinese government, and mm-hmm. so it kind of just put a bad taste in my mouth. So, having only seen the first one once, that was kind of in like the I was too old for Disney movies, and my kids weren't born yet. Period. Uh, it was never really one that I was connected to. First of all, you're never too old for Disney movies. <laughs> Touche. And secondly, it's actually pretty decent. Like I really enjoy it because I went into it not thinking I was going to like it at all. And my oldest came home to visit and she's like, let's watch Mulan. And I was, like for two days in a row, we tried to watch it and she fell asleep both times, but you know, that's okay. But I still managed to watch it and my youngest managed to watch it. And we both agreed beautifully, visually, it's gorgeous. And the story was, I mean, it, it, it's considering the changes they wanted to put in place. It still follows the original story pretty closely. Mm. And I feel it was very female, which Mulan is female empowering anyway. Yeah. But I feel that this even more so was female empowering. And I really like that. And she didn't have to, you know, typically the Disney princess, you know, she's got to have the man save her, which of course was never the thing for Mulan. And also what's the other one? Brave Merida. Yeah. Uh, And um Moana, you know, you've got this new age of Disney princesses that are strong, which I really appreciate. And yeah, I mean, even entangled. Yeah. Like Finn is around, but she certainly uh I don't remember the princess's name, but of course I remember the guy's name. Oh, how male. Um <laughs> but she like she's got the whole thing with the, the cast iron pan beating people up and Rapunzel, wouldn't it be Rapunzel and Tangled? Yeah, that'd be Rapunzel, you know, the, the national. But the, the hair, yeah. With the hair, yeah. <laughs> I'm so good with names. <laughs> okay, speaking of Disney, have you seen Soul yet? I have not. Come on, uh, Adam. I know, I've just, I've, I've told you, and I've been stuck in this really strange rut of just re-watching stuff and not really being open to new shows which is, I think, very COVID-related. Well, let's get you out of this rut because... I mean, I watched all The Mandalorian. All right. Well, I've never seen it, so... But oh, there's an, another... That's Pedro Pascal again. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's very good. And in fact, if I'm sure there are people who are probably like, well, I'm not into Star Wars. I'm like, it's, it's a story that just happens to happen in the Star Wars universe. It's... It's just a really well-crafted tale. And there's a lot of stuff in there for Star Wars fans, but you can go in knowing nothing about Star Wars and it doesn't matter. You can you will enjoy the series. All right, well, I'll try it. I'm just saying, it's good. All right, all right. I think that's all I got for you. That was a very quick episode. 
<laughs> and that's been your A-side, B-side. Thank you so much. You can support the show on buymeacoffee.com slash A-side, B-side pod. That's just 20 minutes of Brooke and Adam talking about their week. <laughs> All right. So this is episode number 25. And Adam, I know you love movies and you love acting. I'm going to take you back to old school Hollywood. Oh. Yeah. Like, are we talking talkies or are we talking, you know, like. A little old... bit, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Okay. So... All right. All right. We're going to kick off with the B side next. This is Kevin Armstrong, your host for Movie Battle. Each episode, we take two films and put a super fan of each against one another to decide which one is best. The only rule we have is that you come correct. If you're interested in being a guest on Movie Battle, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Like I said, Adam, I think you'll really enjoy this because you love movies and acting. And even though you don't always know the names of people, you seem you have seen a lot of movies. And you're into older classics. Yeah, I, I, I would say like my sweet spot is 1978 on, but I have found often that like there'll be movies or TV shows that I enjoy that I find out that they're remakes or they're somehow connected with something that came before. Uh, and so that sends me back to learn more about those older things. Sometimes you just need a good old fashioned Hollywood scandal and murder. Mm -hmm. to just bring it full circle you know and hollywood knows how to give us a dramatic death and that's definitely no exception it's probably one of the most hollywood hollywood stories that you've never heard because when you think hollywood you think drama you think excess you think you know all those things oh yeah so this is the story of ramon navarro Jose Ramon Gil Semaniego was born February 6th in 1899 in Durango City, Durango, Mexico. His parents, Dr. Mariano San Maniego and Linor Perez Gavilan. Ramon's ancestors descended from the Castilian town of Burgos to the Americas. There's a okay. book called Ramon Navarro, a biography of the silent film idol by Alan Ellenberger. Alan says the San Maniegos were an influential and well-respected family in Mexico. Many San Maniegos had prominent positions in affairs of the state and were held in high esteem by the president. So we're talking about somebody that already comes from some money. Yeah, just influential bloodlines. Yes. Ramon's grandfather was a well-known physician in Juarez. Ramon's father was born in Juarez and attended high school in Las Cruces. And then he went to the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, that one. Mm -hmm. And then he moved back to Mexico to Durango and he started a dental practice. In 1891, he married Leonor. The family estate was called the Garden of Eden. Dang. Mm-hmm. The Semeniegos had 13 children at that estate. That's a lot uh, of children. They're starting the whole the cr- cradle situation. Uh, 
civilization. Right. Or in this case, the cradle of situation. <laughs> the cradle of situation and civilization. Yeah. Perfect in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. The uh, Semeniegos had Emilio, Guadalupe, Rosa, Ramon, Leonor, Mariano, Luz, Antonio, Jose, who unfortunately was stillborn, Carmen, mm. Angel, and Eduardo. At the start of the Mexican Revolution, the family moved from Durango to Mexico City, back to, Tur- uh, back to Durango, and then eventually they escape to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Three of Ramon's sisters, Guadalupe, Leonor, and Rosa, went on to become nuns. Ramon was the second cousin of, Me- of two Mexican actresses, Dolores Del Rio and Andrea Palma. So not only does he come from state influence and medical influence, he also has acting in the bloodline. He's got some connections. He's got some connections. So around 1916, 1917, Ramon befriended Hollywood power couple Rex Ingram and Alice Terry. Now, have you heard of Rex Ingram? The name sounds familiar, but then again, it's just a cool sounding name. Well, if you do a deep dive into Rex Ingram, he is responsible for a ton of film. Some of the movies he's done, you might recognize, um, let's see, Ben-Hur, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about. The Prisoner of Zenda, maybe you've heard of. That's not on the list. Black Orchids. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. Anyway. I heard of Ben Hur, though. All right. Well, chariots. <laughs> At the time, he was an extremely powerful Hollywood director, and his wife was a top notch actress, Alice Terry. Again, Ramon's name was Jose Ramon Gil Semeniego. But Rex and Alice said, hey, it's not like today where he could just be. Jose Ramon Gil Semeniego. Right. I mean, people still change their names today. Right. A lot but of it has to do with getting your, your Screen Actors Guild card and there can't be any duplicates. But nowadays, when you have actresses like Uzo Aduba, it's more common for people to not change their names like they used to. Right. But in the 19, you know, early 1900s, that name wasn't going to fly. And they said, ah, you're going to have to change your name to something a little more Hollywood. And what he did was he chose the name Navarro after his friend, Gabriel Navarro. But when they were typing it up on his Screen Actors Guild card, they misspelled it. So instead of N-A-V-A-R-R-O, it's N-O-V-A-R-R-O, Novarro. Mm -hmm. No. Because, you know, why would they want to spell it correctly? Right. So Ramon began acting in 1917, and initially it was just bit parts. He did what most actors do. He supplemented his income as a waiter, a singing waiter at that. You've been there. Oh, yeah. I still <laughs> sing for my supper when needed. <laughs> so as soon as friends, actor and director Rex Ingram and wife Alice Terry began promoting him as a rival to Rudolph Valentino. I'm sure yes, you've heard that name. Yes. That's a name most people have heard. Of. Yes. Hollywood heartthrob, Rudolph Valentino. Rex basically promoted Ramon and made him into a Valentino copycat, even down to forcing him to copying uh, Rudolph's mannerisms, even down to like the way he combed his hair for publicity shots. There was this like particular Rudolph curl that was famous. 
that Ramon started copying. Of course. I'm sure he wasn't the only one. Oh, I'm sure not. From 1923, he began to play more prominent roles. His role in Scaramouche, opposite Alice Terry, brought him his first major success and turned him into a household name. Ramon's greatest success came in 1925 in the original Ben-Hur. Now, most people, when they think of Ben-Hur, they think, uh, the what is it, the 60s version? Yeah, or, or even the 40s, 40s 50s. For, yeah. Yeah. With um what's his name? I can see his face. Uh was that Charlton Heston? Yes, or? Charlton yeah. Heston. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, sometimes people don't realize that there was an original version or there was a version before that in 1925 and this was with Ramon Navarro. Yeah, when people complain about Hollywood just recycling stuff recently, it's like, guys, this is kind of what we've been doing. Yeah, for many, 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 many years. (laughs) Many years. (laughs) Well, the thing about him in Ben-Hur, initially, he actually lost that part because producers liked a guy named George Walsh. Well, that production with George crashed and burned because they just said George was flat and and the studios took over and they just, Mm. they fired George. And they recast and they brought in Ramon as Ben-Hur. George Walsh got real bitter about that one. Yeah. No, it sounds a lot like we talked about Eric Stoltz and getting fired from Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. So Ramon's choice of costume caused quite the stir. You see, his costume consisted of a series of tight, shiny, short outfits. Now, this is in the early 1900s, 1920s. That was very scandalous, but the ladies loved it. Oh yeah. So this is like a good, like what? 30 years before Elvis is shaking his hips. Oh yeah. Away. Oh yeah. Which was scandal at the time. Exactly. So imagine on the big screen, he's wearing short shorts and they're skin tight. This is like, (gasps) but it was a period piece though. You know, Mm -hmm. historically accurate. If you say so. So of course this, role and the outfit and just the scandal surrounding it cemented his status as a Hollywood hunk. Ramon was often shirtless in his roles, but there was a little Hollywood magic there as well, because even though he worked out and he had a trainer and he, you know, had a good physique, well, you know, Hollywood producers, they wanted him even more buff. So they used makeup to draw pecs and make his torso more chiseled and they painted muscles on him yeah they, they gave him extra definition yeah which you know it sucks but it's nice to know they do it to men too i mean it's probably what sucked a lot less than having to work out extra so <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure ramon was like oh these are my options <laughs> and i will enjoy the cheeseburger ramon like tom cruise was actually pretty short for a male at as well he was only five six so his co-stars uh the male ones usually would stand in ditches to match his height so ramon is now a hollywood elite he used a woman named sylvia of hollywood as a physical therapist sylvia wrote a tell-all book years later and she claimed that that ramon kept his young youthful look by sleeping in a a coffin but that's not true i mean that's just that's that's a good story. <laughs> yeah, it is a very good story. <gasps> he stays young by sleeping in a coffin. It's not true, though. No. 
I mean, I roll around too much to sleep in a coffin. <laughs> I end up outside the coffin. So in 1926, Rudolph Valentino passed away. He was only 31 years old. He passed away of peritonitis, which meant Valentino's unfortunate passing was very good news for Ramon because it quickly cemented him as Hollywood's leading Latin actor. And well, basically he was like a top, the top leading man. He was only second to MGM's John Gilbert. So this is a big dude. Like this dude is huge. He's on top of the world. He's on top of the world in golden era Hollywood. Ramon was popular as a swashbuckler in action films and considered one of the greatest romantic leads of his day. This is so crazy because I'm like, I've never heard of this dude. Like I've heard of Rudolph Valentino. I don't even heard of John Gilbert. I've heard of Alice Terry and Rex Ingram, but I had never heard of Ramon Navarro for him to be so huge. Yeah, I had no idea. He appeared with Norma Shearer in The Student Prince in Old Heidelberg in 1927. He appeared with Alice Terry in Lovers, also in 1927, with Joan Crawford, who, of course, we know the story of Mommy Dearest with Joan Crawford. Mm. And then, of course, the huge feud between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, which is Mm. legendary. So we know. the whole TV series about that. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. So we know Joan. Like the feud. Yeah, I think it was. So we know Joan Crawford, huge leading lady. So he started with her and across across to Singapore in 1928. Anita Page in The Flying Fleet in 1929. Greta Garbo in Mata Hari in 1931. These are big, huge actresses. So that yeah. shows you his status. He frequently starred with Dor- uh, Dorothy Jordan and Rene Adore. He made his first talking film. Remember I said we kind of go both. He mm-hmm. made his first talking film starring as a French soldier in Devil May Care in 1929. It really didn't do well. It was not well we received. Um, he starred with Dorothy Janice in The Pagan in 1929 with Myrna Loy in The Barbarian in 1933. And he starred opposite Lupe Velez in The Laughing Boy in 1934. The Laughing Boy, unfortunately, was a bit of a humiliation for Ramon. It wasn't just the fact that there were two actors of Mexican descent playing Navajo people. On top of that, the critics derided how bad the wig, how bad his wig was, and they talked about his aging features. Remember, he started in 1916, 1917. This is now the, uh, you know, the late, mid to late, or the early to mid 30s. So he's been acting for what, 20 years now? Yeah, just I about. Mean, you know, twenty years of age is going to show at some point, right? You know, it's we're not, not all Paul Rudd, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's not like today where they can do the digital editing, you know. Mm. So again, I hate it for him, but at the same time, they do this to women all the time. You hear about mm. women not getting certain roles because they're a certain age. So yeah. I, I hate that they did it to him, but I'm like, well, at least they did it to a man. Like lead actresses suddenly hit a certain age and then they can only play grandmothers. Or exactly. Moms. Yeah. It's, it's weird. So audience agreed with audiences seem to agree with the uh, critics and the film was another bust. So now he's got a couple of busts under his belt. In 1935, his contract with MGM was not renewed. In fact, they offered him $19,000 to break it, which today would be about $361,000. Oh, wow. 
they offered him that $19,000 and said, here, take this and leave. I'm, it's not like today where you, you can be Tom Cruise and have flop after flop and then they still keep you around. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's also helping pay for flop after flop. True. And he could find, I mean, this was back before it's like baseball before free agency. Like you signed with a studio and then you could only make movies for that studio. So if there was a better script somewhere else or a better movie that you wanted to do, tough luck, buddy, you're MGM forever. So I hope MGM finds some scripts for you. So it was was a very different time. Very different. And MGM just said, you know what? We're going to cut our losses. Here you go. Here's your 19 G's. Or like I said today, $360,000, which isn't a lot, but it was then. I don't know. I'm still going to take three, 360 K if anybody's handing it to me. Heck yeah. You want me to what? Okay. I'm out. (laughs) So Ramon continued to act sporadically appearing, appearing in films for Republic pictures, He was in a Mexican religious drama and a French comedy. In the 1940s, he had several small roles in American films, including We Were Strangers in 1949. In 1958, he was considered for a role on the television show The Green Peacock, but that project never came to fruition. Hmm. He had an unsuccessful Broadway tryout in the 60s. So he just kept himself busy on television, appearing on NBC's The High Chaparral in the late 60s. -hmm. Ramon tried for a comeback in London doing a stage production of his movie, The Prisoner of Zelda, which I mentioned earlier, which is a Rex Ingram film. But when the audience saw how much he had changed, they were aghast, not only at his aging face, but his pudgy physique. Yeah, that'll happen when you, you know, when you age. Yeah, yeah, I know. We so, didn't have, you know, Tybo and stuff. Right? <laughs> no Billy Blanks in, no in the Billy 40s. Coming around. <laughs> Billy Blanks, that's another guy who hasn't changed at all. It's him and Paul Rudd in the, the you know, fountain of youth somewhere. So, along with his declining looks, were his declining acting skills. He was not the leading man that he once was. So at the peak of his career in the late 1920s and early 1930s, Ramon was earning more than $100,000 per film, which wow. today would be like $1.5 million per film. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. Right. So I could see him being a little insulted when they were like, here's 19 grand when yeah. he was making $100,000 a film. Yeah, it's like, this is what we found in the couch. Can you go now? Yeah. But Ramon was smart with his money. He invested his income. Remember, he comes from money, so he knows what to do with it. He yeah, invested his Amazon to spend stuff on. So. <laughs> right. So he invested some of his income in real estate and in his Hollywood Hills residence. It was one of the more renowned designs of Lloyd Wright. Who, if you've ever heard of Frank Lloyd Wright, the, mm-hmm. the prominent architect, his son, um, Lloyd Wright. Uh, is the one that designed Ramon's house. So when his career ended, he was still sitting pretty, you know, pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. He's still sitting pretty. All while Ramon was dealing with the rise and fall of his movie and TV career, on the backside, he was facing his personal demons. You see, Ramon was homosexual, but he was also conflicted because he was raised a devout Catholic, a devout Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. 
So his struggle led to severe drinking issues. And in the early 1920s, before his rise to stardom, Ramon was romantically involved with a composer named Harry Partich. Well, we've heard this happen before. This kind of happened with Meghan Markle when she started to uh, get popular on, what's the show? I used to watch it. Now I can't think of it. Scandal? No, Meghan Markle was never on Scandal. It was the law show. I don't know. The, the law show. It's a horrible title. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, suits. Yes. Suits. suits. Yeah. So <laughs> Look at that. Meghan Markle was married to like a director and then she started to become more famous on suits and then she dropped him. Yeah. So it happens. I'm, I'm <laughs> like a cheap like suit. Like a cheap suit. <laughs> So and, and and that was just the first example I can think of. And no, I don't really like Meghan Markle, but it happens all the time. We hear this all the time. And uh, so that was the case with Ramon. Once he started on his upward rise, he dropped the composer. So later he became involved with a Hollywood journalist named Herbert Howe, who was also his publicist in the late 1920s. I told you this is a real Hollywood type story. Oh, yeah. So the two had their relationship in plain sight. Herbert would write columns about his closest friend, Ramon, and those who were in the know knew that it stood for lover. The columns helped boost Ramon's career, and the studios really weren't concerned with the men and the relationship as long as they were discreet. The studios even helped to hide it by feeding stories to the press about Ramon dating starlets. All right. But the real kicker in all of this was that they were giving the stories to Herbert to write. Who knew it was all a fake. Right. But of course, this is Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So we need a tragic, bitter end. Mm -hmm. In 1928, after about five years together, the couple broke up. And I don't think it was mutual because Herbert wrote a scathing, vitriolic piece about Ramon. Um, In the piece, Herbert called Ramon cold, cruel, and incapable of warmth. He wrote, quote, off screen, he is a theater with the lights out. Ooh, ooh. that is cold. Mm. Yeah, I, I would assume that you don't want to piss off the person who writes your reviews. Right? So it oh, like a bad choice. I would, from the sound of it, it seems as if Ramon is the one who ended things. Mm-hmm. Because Herbert did not seem very happy. Ramon, of course, was very upset by this article. And his response was to get as far away from it all as possible. He literally tried to become a monk, but they rejected him, telling him that they didn't think that a Hollywood star could be serious about the monastic life. They were probably right. (laughs) Ramon. Ramon also had a wealthy a, a relationship with a wealthy with a wealthy with a wealthy man named Noel uh, Noel Sullivan from San Francisco. So, quick side note: this was an era where a lot of celebrities were being accused of being communists, like Lupe Velez and James Cagney. Which I know you know James Cagney. Oh yeah, Ramon. He did not escape the accusations. He and the others were accused of promoting communism in California after they attended a special screening of the film called Que Viva Mexico by a famed Russian filmmaker named Sergei 
Eisenstein. So in the late 1940s and 50s, after the decline of his career and increase in drinking Mm. and all of this scandal with the communism and his love life. I mean, everything is just kind of spiraling here for Ramon. His drinking picks up as his career declines and he becomes known, real well known, really well acquainted with the LAPD because he had quite a few uh, midnight run-ins and quite a few car accidents. One car accident was so bad, he actually broke his ribs, injured his chest, lost his license. Also in the 1950s, Ramon began hiring sex workers. And this, my dear desktop detectives, is where the murder comes in. So on Halloween Eve, October 30th of 1968, Ramon received a phone call from Paul and Tim Ferguson telling him that they received his phone number from his contact or from their contact, Larry Ortega. Larry was another client at the Laurel Canyon home for sex. So the two brothers, six foot, six foot four, very handsome, asked Ramon if he was in need of their services that evening. Ramon said, sure, and invited them over. They were just his type. They were gorgeous, like Hollywood, beautiful, gorgeous. The two men, Paul, 22, Tom, 17, believed that there was a large sum of money hidden somewhere in Ramon's house. He was a top Hollywood star. They're like, he's got to be loaded, you know? Somebody tells somebody else who tells somebody else, and suddenly we got this legend of a bunch of money right and he's got this gorgeous house so they're thinking he lives in this beautiful home there's money somewhere inside this home mm-hmm. or something worth getting exactly so the details of the night are a little mysterious as both brothers told completely different stories but this is what the prosecution believes happened they believe that ramon's last hours were terrifying paul mm-hmm. the older brother claims that he was asleep When he woke up, Tom told him that Ramon was dead. Tom, on the other hand, the younger brother, tells a very different story. According to Tom's testimony, he walked into uh, Ramon's bedroom and he saw Paul. Now, I know this is a true crime podcast, but I do want to warn you. Okay. Mm -hmm. It does get a little graphic. So Tom said he walked into Ramon's bedroom and he saw Paul in the bed. And then he watched as Paul bludgeoned Ramon with a prop cane and demanded the money that he thought Ramon had. Prosecution accused the Ferguson brothers of torturing Ramon for several hours, trying to get him to reveal the whereabouts of his money. Ramon died from asphyxiation from choking on his own blood. The brothers then left with $20 that they found in Ramon's bathroom the brothers tried to cover up their crime they tried to make it seem as if a female sex worker had been there by placing a condom in ramon's hand and then they wrote larry ortega's name on the sheets they could have also intended it to make it seem as if larry ortega himself was responsible there's the prosecution said it they said both ways make sense 
This that's what yeah. they said in trial. This doesn't sound like a really well thought out plan. No. All right, let's write this guy's name on the sheets because that's a thing people do. Right. Except it's not. So the final piece of the cover up was a disgusting message written on Ramon's bathroom mirror. Now, when I tell you it's disgusting, I am not kidding. And I'm I'm reading the message for the impact because it needs to be, this is Ramon's story mm-hmm. and the full story needs to be told, but it also needs to be known that this is not cool. It's not okay. So the message, very grammatically incorrect, said, us girls are better than faggots. Finally, realizing that their clothes were a bloody mess, they ditched their clothing and raided Ramon's closet, stealing his clothes before leaving. Fortunately, their tactics did not work. And so they left their clothes behind? Yeah, they threw them out. Wow, these guys are dumb. They're very dumb. Yeah, very dumb. Especially, yeah, they're very dumb. Wow. So they were both arrested and convicted to long-term sentences, but both of them were released on parole. Now, remember, this happened on uh, 1968. In the 70s, they were both paroled. They killed this man. They brutally killed this man. And they were sentenced to, you know, years in prison. And for whatever reason, I don't, I couldn't find the reasons. Um, They were both paroled in the 70s. But they couldn't keep themselves out of trouble. And they were arrested again for unrelated charges. And they both ended up serving more time for these unrelated crimes than they did the murder of Ramon Navarro. 30 years after the murder in 1998, Paul Ferguson, the older brother, finally admitted his fault in Ramon's murder. Tom Ferguson must have been haunted with what he had done because he committed suicide on March 6th of 2005. He went to a a motel and slit his own throat. Paul Ferguson is a repeat offender. He received an eight-year sentence in 1987 for raping a 54-year-old woman. In 1991, he racked up even more charges. And at last check, from what I could find, he's still serving time for another rape. Ramon was buried in Calvary Cemetery in East Los Angeles. He uh, He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Ramon's murder was briefly referenced on the sixth season of The Sopranos. The episode is titled Cold Stones, and it's following the violent murder of a closeted homosexual character. In late 2005, the Wings Theater in New York City staged the world premiere of Through a Naked Lens by George Barthol. The play combined fact and fiction to depict Ramon's rise to stardom and his relationship with Herbert Howe. And in 2015, the murder of Ramon was covered in the television series Aquarius in the episode titled Cease to Resist. And that is the true Hollywood story of Ramon Navarro. See, true crime's not new. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> and there are some pretty horrible people through every, every decade of humanity, so... Seems like these guys got a few more decades than they should have been allowed to have. I just cannot believe that they were paroled 
within 10 years of murdering someone. Yeah. Well, and you, and you wonder if the, and I don't know the details of, as you mentioned, you couldn't find much detail, but you do have to wonder if the fact that the, if there was somebody felt like the murder of a homosexual man was not as Oh, I, I wouldn't doubt that at all. It's the victimology yeah. of it. Yeah. The victim wasn't yeah. as valuable if it had been a white male or a white female. Yeah. You know, the would have been outcome would have been different. different story. Yeah. A very tragic. It's a, it's, it's like, it's the most Hollywood story. It's so tragic. He had this rise to fame, had this beautiful career, and then this horrible ending. Loses it all. And then still, I mean, even... Even in the '60s, he was doing stuff. I mean, even that what you said in 1968, he was on an episode of a TV show. He was on. Yeah. I mean, I just went back and looked him up, and like he was on Bonanza in the Wild West. I mean, like he was clearly not the weed guy anymore, but he was still working. Yeah, it's just I'm surprised that with him being as big as he was, there's not been a movie made about him because it seems you know Hollywood loves a tragedy, and it yeah. And it seems like, you know, if they can make a movie about Ken McElroy from our, our last episode, it seems like Ramon would have gotten a movie. Yeah, but again, you wonder if it's yeah. partly yeah. due to, to how, you know, a Latin actor versus a white actor, a homosexual versus a cisgendered person. Yeah. Oh, me. But there you go. A little old school murder. Hollywood yeah. murder. But now I want to go watch Ben Hur. <laughs> the original? I don't even know. Like that's one of the challenges of older film stars like this. Like just you know, I, I like I said, I started looking them up, and you know how many movies are have this you know note by them that say lost film, lost film, lost yeah. film. You know, it's like it's not like you can just go hit Netflix. Like there were a lot of these films that people weren't thinking about keeping or there were fires at the studio warehouse or you know stuff just gets lost to history i would love to find the original 1920 version of ben-hur and see and apparently there was like a version in like 1907 but that's crazy but okay so i just looked ben-hur a tale of the christ starring ramon navarro you can rent it on apple tv it's on amazon it's on voodoo and it's also on YouTube. You can rent it for $1.99 or you can buy it, you know, on, uh, and F Fandango. So you can rent it on Apple, Amazon, Google, YouTube, Fandango, Vudu, or you can buy it on any of those as well. There was a Ben-Hur in 2016. I, I had no clue. All right. I don't. And one in 2010. Like it had Morgan Freeman in it. That's wild. Evidently it did not do well because... Neither of us have any recollection of that ex that happening. Right? Yeah, no. But I think I'm going to try to rent this one with Ramon Navarro. Check it yeah. out. But there you go. That, dear friends, is the B-side. So, Brooke, as we have been talking about, I've been re-watching a lot of older shows, things that I've already watched before. And so that has influenced a lot of our episodes and a lot of the A-side. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's doing it yet again. Um, I have now successfully watched every episode of NCIS, which is, there's like 18 seasons. 
and I've gotten through all of those. And so I was in a real dark place. That's a lot of Gibbs. And it's a lot of Gibbs. It is. Uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of Navy people getting killed. Very weird that there were that many, but I don't know. Uh, but I guess there's a lot of ships and they move things around a lot, but I was looking for something new to watch. And I don't know if you've noticed, but Netflix has this like watch something now button. No, where is it on the app yeah, or on so your like computer? You, you log in. So I usually watch Netflix on my Xbox or on my uh, Roku and on okay. either one you you log in and it literally is designed. It's like, I don't know what I want to watch. So I'm going to click this button and it's just going to start playing something. Oh, and, wow. And then I can decide if I want to keep watching it or I can just hit next and it'll just start playing something again. So I've been using that a lot. And, you know, usually it takes two or three times before I find something that like catches my eye. But I got started back into the blacklist, which is a spy drama started out in 2013 and stars James Spader. Yes. And James Spader has always held this weird spot in my mind. Like I know he's famous and I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Like I'm like when he was, you know, Ultron and Avengers Age of Ultron, I'm like, oh yeah, obviously James Spader. But then I could never really figure out like where or why he was famous. Like he'd always been on television shows, and stuff, but it was like it wasn't like oh yeah, Tom Cruise had his big break in Top Gun, you know, or like Nicolas Cage was in um, Fast Times at Richmond or uh, uh, was um, raising Arizona. But in I was going to say he was not in Fast Times at Richmond High, uh, but like Sean Penn was in Fast Times at Richmond High, and, and and Forrest Whitaker was and. I could, I was like, okay, I know James Spader and like, I know the name, but I don't really re like, it was always like, oh, James Spader's in this, but I was never like, oh yeah, this is when J James Spader became famous. And so I started diving into James Spader and trying to figure out where, like in my brain was just like, oh, wow, they got James Spader to do a TV show. And then I'm like, well, yeah, he's done a lot of TV shows. He's not like this huge star. And I think it was that when I was a kid, I had seen Pretty in Pink and Mannequin, and he was right up there on like level. I forgot of, he's a mannequin. Yeah, he's the guy. He's like the lead guy in Mannequin. He's the big jerk in Pretty in Pink, and he's like the guy in Mannequin. And Mannequin was one of those movies that I thought was a much bigger deal than it was. Like it was a good movie, and it but it wasn't. It was like a movie that we watched as a family a lot on like road trips, and it was one of those kind of like uh, batteries not included that we talked about a couple weeks ago where I thought it was a much bigger movie uh, than it turned out to be. Uh, it was very good. Also, uh, I think I had completely forgotten that the mannequin is Kim Cattrall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I had totally forgotten that as well. Uh, he's in it as like, he's not the lead guy. He's not he, the, he, he's not Andrew the love McCarthy is the lead guy. Yeah. 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 But he's like uh, kind of like the main, like not really bad guy, but he's, you know, he's definitely not, he's a bigger part than, than I expected. And I had forgotten that he was in it, but so I started to think about, okay, so those two movies were in the eighties and then he was on Boston legal and the practice in the early two thousands. 
But the movie that I remember, and the only movie that I ever remember seeing in the theater with James Spader in it, goes all the way back to the mid-90s and a sci-fi epic called Stargate. And I loved Stargate. It had Kurt Russell. It had James Spader. It was this amazing idea that somehow there are these portals all over the universe that you can go back and forth through you know that would it's like a wormhole type of deal like it would go make traveling so much more simple and i thought it was gonna be like this is gonna turn into like star wars or star trek there's gonna be like seven movies and we, we can go literally anywhere with all of these potential options and all these and it didn't um i loved it but again, it was 1994 and I was 13. So anything with space and aliens and laser pistols was probably going to be directly on my uh, hit list as something that was really cool. Uh, however, it then went on to have an entirely different pop culture ascendancy that never really mentions the movie because it ignores the movie existence. It became the TV series, Stargate SG-1, uh-huh. which then had like three spinoffs of its own. But that wasn't a sequel to the movie. They just took the idea from the movie and turned it into a television series and continued to build this amazing, drawn-out universe. And it reminded me of one of your favorite shows, Brooke, that did the very same thing, was first a movie that didn't have a lot of acclaim and then was rebooted can i guess as a television series well yeah of course you <laughs> it's buffy yeah and brooke you are the biggest buffy the vampire slayer fan that i have ever met uh even when i went to a convention here in the twin cities uh comic convention years ago and uh spike what's his actor's name the, the actor James that played Marsters. spike James Marsden was uh, Marsters, not Marsden. Yeah, that's, that's the totally different. Yeah, Marsters. Uh, I got to see him speak, and I spent the entire time sitting there going, like, Brooke should really be here instead of me. I would have fangirled like, so hard. I mean, he did a great job, like, telling the story. And I then found out that he was doing the audiobooks for the Dresden Files at the time, too, which was like, well, that's a weird thing. I love those as well. Uh, so, Buffy also did a great job of taking this idea that was a movie and turning it into a series and then having building an entire universe and expanding on it. And then I said, okay, that's two. And getting a spinoff of it. And getting a spinoff. So that's two really successful times when a movie became a series and the series was way better than the movie was. Now, I think it's a lot closer line between the movie Stargate and the series Stargate SG-1 or any of its spinoffs. There's a little bit more, you know, the line's not as definitive between the goodness and the badness. Whereas the if you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie with Kristen Swanson and Luke Perry, I think, uh-huh. and then uh-huh. you watch the series, and, there uh, is no debating. Paul, uh, Pee Wee Herman, what's his name? Paul. Uh, oh, Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens, yeah. 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 Uh, the, if you look at that movie in the series, there's no debating which is the better content. The series is so much further. I mean, they even got away with doing musical episodes, 
which they brought that back to television. Gosh, thanks. Uh, not something we really needed, but they got away with it because the series was so beloved. They even got away with doing a completely silent episode. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. That one actually was clever, but you could tell at that point, they were just like, what can we do here? Like how far will they let us push this? It's like that little kid who like knows where the line is, but then realizes they crossed it. And it's just going to keep crossing it a little bit further try something different just to see when they're finally going to get in trouble. Right. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was notorious uh, with my friend group of being able to talk myself out of grounding and back into grounding several times in the same conversation with my parents. Wow. Uh, I actually, I remember one time when we walked out of the house and because we, we got, I'd gotten to go out after I'd been grounded twice during the conversation and my friend looked at me, he goes, I counted it. And that was three times you got grounded and four times you got out. And I don't know how you do that. And it makes no sense whatsoever. And I go, well, you know, I just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> really just, just a word of attrition. If I just keep arguing at some point, if they're like, the best thing to, for the end of this conversation is to send him away. Okay. Can I, can I tell you a really quick, fun side note? Yeah. So that episode of... Buffy, that was the silent episode. The mm-hmm. head, whatever, bad guy or whatever that made everybody silent, Doug Jones, who you know from, he was in The Shape of Water. He was the Silver Surfer. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he does a ton of these roles where he doesn't talk, but he's always like the tall, lanky alien or creature or yeah. whatever. He's, he's killing it on uh, Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. And he was great in as Abe Sapien in the first Hellboy, uh, Hellboy movies uh-huh. and way back when he was one of our first interviews that's what I was gonna say what a cool <laughs> guy he was yeah it was that was a really he was a very I, sweet guy and I think what movie he was doing like uh Jeepers Creepers no I think he was, he was doing like, Silver Surfer at the time wasn't he no I think it was it was some horror movie because I was I was very uncomfortable with the topic um because you know me in horror movies, I get scared. I feel like it was the one where he's like a scarecrow. Um. Okay, this would have been. So it would have been 2007. Look at us doing just like an on-air production. Yeah, no, 2007 right was Silver Surfer. He had done Hellboy after the movie, or he was doing the video game for Hellboy. But 2007 was Silver Surfer. I, I, I'm almost positive that's know. why we t- we talked to him. Yeah, could. Yeah. He did Pan's Labyrinth be. before that. Yeah, maybe that's probably what I was thinking of because I did see that movie uh, and it scared me a lot. I bet that's what it was because we did talk to him about a bunch of his other films. So I bet that's what it was. Yeah. But yeah, what a what a nice guy. Every time I see him in something, I'm like, he's a nice guy. Yeah, no, and he was in, yeah, the the Hush episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really, I didn't get to interview that many people uh, when we were doing, because uh, you know we were on the air that long and we didn't have a ton of interviews, but I do remember that one especially. And every time I've seen him since, it's been cool to see his success. Mm-hmm. Sorry, okay, okay, that's okay. No, it was good. It was a little little memory lane. <laughs> so once I started thinking about these movies that got turned into better television series, I had to do the thing that I always do and make a top five list. So I went through and started to research all of the 
movies that turned into TV shows. Now, sometimes we hear about like TV shows that that have a movie later. Uh, that's relatively rare and usually doesn't work out that well. Like we tried it with Sex of the City and we tried it with uh, X-Files a There's couple of times. There's been several SNL characters yeah. that have had movies that were oh, not good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what I found is that there, if you're a successful cartoon in the 80s, 90s, or even in the 2000s, you're going to have a cartoon series that comes out after that. Mm -hmm. So I threw out all cartoons. Okay. I was like, there's too many. I got I to gotta, I gotta separate. I got to step away from the, the cartoons. So it's got to be a series that had a movie first, but the series doesn't continue the story. It doesn't like it's not a sequel it is completely ignores the existence of preceding movie and you found five of them oh yeah okay yeah i did um and actually there, there's one that does it twice that is number three on my list so this would toss but saying it has to be a series that doesn't pay attention to the movie tosses out a lot of really good prospects uh you look at something like uh highlander which, whether or not you like swordplay or immortals, oh man, the show was so good. It was, and for a while, it didn't really interact with the movie. But by the end, they were basically like the last movie was the two guys. Yeah, so that one had to get tossed out. Loved it. Uh, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which I still think was they were going to reboot with River Phoenix, and then they River, when River Phoenix passed away yeah. and they tried to make it a tv series but it was still it was a prequel you know so that doesn't count can we just can uh, we go back to highlander real quick and just talk about how hot adrian paul was though okay sorry yeah no he, he was he was a very attractive man i mean there it's really it it kind of and, and I, I don't mean this um to be mean uh to uh Christopher Lambert, because Christopher Lambert is also a very handsome man. But they're like, you'd tell me those two are cousins. No. Uh, no. No. That doesn't make a lot of sense. There's, there's no way that those guys are cousins. <laughs> uh, and because there's just like no family resemblance at all there at all. Um, so we got to toss out Highlander. Mm -hmm. uh, Young and Jones Chronicles got to get tossed out. Uh, I removed Fargo because even though Fargo. Does I mean it's just its own thing. right? It, it it each season is unique. It's it's like an art piece. It's I mean it it kind of does its own thing. So it really can't be compared to anything else. Uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead, which doesn't function completely as a sequel, but it totally is. And you can't have it without the movies. But then even the movies themselves were kind of sequels that didn't pay attention to the other movies but then they did a little bit so we had to toss that one out completely so i give honorable mention to all of those and out of my top five i struggled because i was gonna put this one in there this is the honorable mention just missed the top five and it is westworld so westworld was first a 1978 film starring yul brenner yeah the King and I guy. Oh, wow. Within the Westworld universe. The series on HBO completely ignores that that happened and does a much better job of expanding on the universe of Westworld. 
where they lost me and where they didn't get in the top five was the unevenness of season two and where they really tried to push those boundaries a little bit further, I think, than the original source material let, will, you know, gave them license mm-hmm. to. So they just missed out in the top five. So coming in at number five, in the it was a movie, then had a series that completely ignored the movie existence rankings, which I'll turn that into an acronym later. <laughs> number five uh, has comp- the, the series completely wiped out most people's uh, knowledge that it was even a movie uh, because it became so popular and it kind of transcended those entertainment and sport lines and you'll even hear some of the catchphrases like clear eyes clear heart can't lose or something like that uh repeated by sports figures when they're doing their little nonsensical talks at at halftime or after a game and they're saying things like well we really put it 100 on the field and we wanted to make sure we gave it our all and you know there's that's a good team over there and that sort of thing but they'll you know clear eyes clear heart can't lose and it's friday night lights the movie for Friday Night Lights came out. Oh, I forgot that was a movie for real. Exactly. And everybody did because first it was a movie, but it wasn't as good. So the series started in 2006, but the movie came out in 2004. And they were both directed by Peter Berg. But can you imagine like the character of the head coach being played by billy bob thornton oh my gosh right the series has become so iconic and the lead actor who was uh in uh, kyle chandler who was in a bunch of uh tv series that one uh, early edition where he'd get like yes tomorrow's newspaper a day early which how time locked is that scenario uh, <laughs> no one's getting new nobody papers. gets them today, anymore i heard today's on on the on a commercial while i was at work somebody said uh you know look for our coupon in this sunday's paper and i was like what who's getting coupons from a paper that's delivered on, like no one is doing that anymore that used to be a huge thing it's like it did not happen uh so he was on early edition uh before and he was on uh, he was on a bunch of other ABC shows, but he became like, if you think of Kyle Chandler or Friday Night Lights, you think of him as the head coach, right. where in the movie version, it was Billy Bob Thornton, which there's not a lot of overlaps there. He's more like the old ball coach. And I don't think it would have been the same, you know, love that people had for the coach uh, when he was played by Kyle Chandler. So that's number five on the list. Number four, we've already mentioned, which was Stargate SG-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stargate, was they did a great job of making a sci-fi show with very limited budget. The, the reason that the movie, I think, is closer to the series isn't the content, because the, the series does a great job expanding the world and creating compelling stories, but there was always the issue of we don't really have enough money to make this sci-fi show look like it should and stargate the movie looked really really good it was a good special effects star you know movie so uh that's the thing i think that keeps them a little bit closer together also uh kurt russell as the sort of badass 
uh, sorry, mom, uh, tough as nails, like action hero feels a little bit more plausible than Richard Dean Anderson. I mean, we all love Richard Dean Anderson, who went, you know, grew up as MacGyver and then he became uh, the Stargate sort of talisman mm-hmm. through all the series. Uh, that makes a little bit more sense, but Stargate took this great idea and what I really loved about the film and the concept was you could go anywhere with it. And they did. They had three or four different series. There's Stargate SG-1, you had Stargate Atlantis. Uh, There was SGU, which was set within the same universe, but takes it an entirely different thing. Now they're like stuck on a ship and they can't get back to Earth and they can only go to visit other places. And it was more of a like intense, like stressful show. And then Atlantis was a little bit more, you know, episodic and, but also we're talking about the bigger worlds and expanding on, you know, the idea of human landmarks in history being tied to uh, aliens. Sorry if any of this is spoiler alert, all this stuff happened, like came out like 20 years ago. So you don't get a spoiler alert on that. Uh, Sorry. Uh, So Stargate SG-1 and the entire series that series that came after it clocked in at number four. Number three actually got remade twice based on the same, the first movie at the beginning. Uh, the movie, which came out in, oh gosh, I am, my numbers are all thrown off. Uh, the movie came out in, oh gosh. So it was originally called La Femme Nikita. Oh, by, Nikita. Yes, right. So came out in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Besson, who would go on to uh, do The Point of No Return, Uh, he did uh, The Fifth Element, Uh, he did a highly underrated um, Valerian and the Planet of, or City of a Thousand Planets, uh, which I still think is quite good and just a beautiful film, and uh, Rihanna does a great job uh, as well. Uh, Sarkara Delinger, the the main character, the guy, Valerian, he's just really pretty and that's about all he's got going for him um kind of try to play it like he was han solo and you got you can only be han solo to pull that off uh but super good movie so la femme nikita came out in 1990 it was first remade into a series in 1997 starring uh pita wilson mm-hmm. and i remember this one because it was on usa yes often late at night and USA in the mid to like during the nineties was my like guilty pleasure that I would watch when I was supposed to be asleep and I would keep it really low and listen and watch, you know, like that was silk stockings uh, era too. St- yeah. Silk stockings, La Femme Nikita, the bicycle cops in the, in, uh, which was like Pacific. Yeah. Blue. Uh, Wasn't that Mario yeah, Lopez? Just, uh, I think, yes. I think Mario Lopez was on that originally. Uh, so I loved these movies. And I always thought, like, I wasn't supposed to be watching them because they were just a little bit more risque than what my parents would normally watch. This was not Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. <laughs> uh, this was La Femme de Gita, which is a, sounds a little bit more dangerous. Uh, the 1997 TV series is excellent. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it twists on the old movie a little bit more of course it's a complete remake so it doesn't act as a sequel or a prequel in any way it's completely remade uh the series was so good that they redid it again in 2010 yep 
This time, just calling it Nikita and focusing on the main character is played by Maggie Q, uh, who is arguably the third best diehard villain in the entire Die Hard uh, trilogy. She's the best sidekick, uh, but the third best overall villain in Die I've also got that written down somewhere. So La Femme Nikita, which would go on to be La Femme Nikita and Nikita is number three on our list. Number two is of course Buffy, which we've already extolled some of the virtues of and then had yeah. a nice little, uh, a, a little side uh, mission to go talk about Doug Jones as well. Uh, and we can come back to the main quest. Side note, another to- side note, Angel from Buffy and Angel. David Boreanaz is from Buffalo. Oh, I, he looks very hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where to go with that other than to say he's a very hardy man. Um, then we get to the number one series that had a movie first but the series is a complete remake uh and it is arguably one of the top tv series of all time so i this may be this may be dating myself uh which is weird because that sounds strange uh but when i was a kid i remember that this tv series which ran from 1972 to 1983. I remember it in reruns and it was always on in the afternoon. It was appointment television, even when it was in reruns. And it was one of those things that would come on often when we come on in the middle of the afternoon or right after the nightly news sometimes. So we had some channels would do uh, cheers right after the news and some would do MASH. So MASH was a movie that came out first mm-hmm. and was 1970 and was a huge success. The movie version of MASH won uh, Academy Awards. It was it won the famed Palme d'Or at the 1970 Cannes Film Festival, five Academy nominations, including Best Picture. It won for Best Adapted Screenplay. It was con- considered a huge hit. So you had Don Sutherland, Elliot Gould, Tom Skerritt, who's the who's the guy from Top Gun. You'll recognize him. He's got the mustache. Uh, Robert Duvall, uh, Rene Aubergence, who would go on to be on Deep Space Nine. Benson. So that's what, yeah, Benson as well, I guess. That was a big show. There's no Deep Space Nine. Uh, (laughs) But in 1972, MASH started as a series. And I think a lot of people, when they think of MASH, think of Alan Alda and Wayne Rogers and Loretta Swift and Larry Lindville and Harry Morgan and Jamie Farr. And like, when you think of MASH, you think of the TV series. Even though the movie itself won Academy Awards and was hugely known. I, as a kid from the 80s, who was born 11 years after the movie came out, didn't realize it was a movie until I was in my 20s. I just thought of MASH as the television series and it was always referred to as one of the highest rated, best loved series. And I remember when Seinfeld was getting close to its final episode and Cheers was getting close to its final episode. So we're talking like there's six, seven years between those two events. Each time when they were talking about Cheers having its final episodes, they're like, will this be the one that 
finally breaks the record for the most watched TV series, TV finale ever, because MASH held the record. I believe they still do to this day in terms of looking at like rating share, mm-hmm. uh, not number of eyeballs, but their share of how many people were watching. And Cheers couldn't beat it. And Seinfeld, which might be one of the worst final episodes uh, in any series, uh, couldn't beat it. It was an iconic, it's considered one of the greatest television series, period. So it has to be number one when we're talking about movies that became television series and completely changed everyone's perspective or became the number one thing you thought of when you thought of that brand. I applaud your list. Kudos to you on your list. But can I give you an honorable mention? And one that yes. you probably wouldn't watch because of the content of it, but the TV show. Can I guess? Is phenomenal. Yes. Does it start with a P? No. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say Parenthood. Parenthood was another one. Oh. That, like it definitely. It, it's not for me, but that one definitely was considered for the list. But I thought I thought we were going to say the same thing, but I was totally wrong. So. Uh, we'll cut that out in post. <laughs> I was going to say Hannibal. Oh, yeah. So I did consider Hannibal. Um, now, I wasn't sure if that's just, one you watched or would watch or or whatever. No, it's it's not one that I have seen because it. I've seen like Silence of the Lambs. I've seen Red Dragon. Don't know that I've seen. I've, I've seen the one that came out before all those. Silence of the Lambs is actually a sequel mm-hmm. to. Um, trying to remember trying to remember the guy is the main character um isn't Hannibal in that one it's the cop um but yeah I, I considered it um but I guess I just couldn't put it on my list because again I haven't seen enough I have to say and I didn't realize it was so long ago it started in 2013 which it, I feel like I was just watching it like two years ago but it's been since 2013 it was on for a couple of years and Mads Mikkelsen plays Hannibal yeah and so it's basically the early relationship between Hannibal Lecter and a young criminal FBI profiler who uh, played by Hugh Dancy his name's Will Graham and just like Hannibal is kind of obsessed with Clarice he's kind of obsessed with Will Graham but it's Mm. Hannibal before you know he's locked up it's he's like a doctor and he's you know very prestigious and in Mads Mikkelsen plays such a phenomenal multi-dimension character that you're just completely drawn in and I hate that it only had like a couple of seasons because they were really building on something and then I kind of I guess it just kind of fell flat yeah you could only you could only go so I mean the funny thing is how many times we've got like right now we've got prodigal son which, which reminds me so much of yeah. when I first, cause, and I watched that I, 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 and I love it because of Michael Sheen, who's another phenomenal actor. But when I first started watching it, I was like, this is nothing but Hannibal with a, yeah. a twist that Hannibal's his dad. Yeah. That, that's, that's like the, that's the, the, the twist. Yeah. Uh, he is incredible in Dr. Strange to Mads Mikkelsen, mm-hmm. uh, which Doctor Strange, I feel, gets forgotten in the pantheon of the Marvel movies because there's so many. But that movie is highly underrated and has a great character arc for just about everybody. Even, like, the bad guys, like, 
you're like, okay, I can kind of get where they're coming from. Like there, there's, it's a very nuanced film when you're talking about sorcerers and magic. It is. I'm just not big on Benedict Cumberbatch. That's very, yeah, he, there's a lot of him in there. He's just not one of those draw me in type actors. So I feel like maybe if it was a different actor, I would have been one because I love all of the Marvel's Avenger movies. Mm -hmm. That is my least favorite. Really? Yeah. And it is a good movie. It's, I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch. That's fair. Like I, I think that the first season of Sherlock is arguably the best season, like best limited series ever made. And I, and the thing is, I, I liked Sherlock too. So the writing, he gets really great parts and the writing is really good. I just find him annoying. That's fair. I mean, when, when there's somebody like that, it's hard to separate them from their movies. There's just somebody that rubs you wrong. You're like, I can't, I can't get over that. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, like, I think it's mostly just pure jealousy, but Tobey Maguire is the same way for me. <laughs> so are you going to watch the new Spider-Man because he's going to be in it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because we'll just it'll just definitively prove to everyone that Tom Holland is a much better Spider-Man than anyone else and there should never be an argument ever. You can argue about who's number 2. That's fine. You and take your you Andrew Garfield people you go over there, your Tobey Maguire people over there. You know, Tom Holland is number 1. I I don't disagree with you. Yeah, no, I was I was so incredibly jealous. The two roles that I wanted to play more than anything when I was in high school and I dreamed about someday being an actor and playing being in a major motion picture I wanted to be Anakin Skywalker and I wanted to be Spider-Man and that's why I don't I actually don't feel bad I don't hate Hayden Christensen because somebody had to dive on that script grenade he was given Um, so I'm glad it was him and not me but I'm super jealous of Toby Maguire. I can admit that. It takes a big man to admit that. Yeah. I think I'm taller than him. <laughs> All right. So is that the A-side? That is, that is the A-side. The top five TV series that first started out at movies, but didn't function as a prequel or sequel. And again, I'll make that into an acronym at some point. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. Hold on, Adam. We can't forget our our shout outs. We can't forget. Oh, that's right. Uh, let's see. Where do we want to shout out this week? Let's start with other countries because the fact that people in other countries listen to, it, listen to us is just so cool. In Singapore, Central Singapore Community Development Council. Hello. Awesome. In Italy, uh, Emilia Roman- Romagna. I sound like such oh, an like- American right now. <laughs> Romagna. Um, they in Italia. <laughs> Romagna? Um, Emilia Romagna? Uh, so if you're from we, there and you're listening... Is this a person's name or is this a city? It's a city. Because I would legitimately believe that was a person. As Emilia Romagna. Romag- Romagna. Romagna. Emilia Romagna. That's how it's spelled. If you're from right. there, please correct me and I apologize, but thank you so much for listening to us. <laughs> I always worry sometimes when we do these that we just offend the people who are listening because we can't pronounce the cities that they're from. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm really trying. Uh, no, I know. It's, it, it's all, it's it's in the best interest. It is. In the UK, we've got, of course, England, Northern Ireland, Wales, 
British Columbia, Canada, Nova Scotia. Thank you for listening. Closer to home in Kentucky, in old Kentucky, Smith's Grove, Shepherdsville, Sonora. In Minnesota, your, your home, home state, Detroit Lakes and Rochester. Also in Texas, Arlington and Mesquite. Mesquite. That's a good barbecue. That there. is the good barbecue. I've read that on a bottle. <laughs> in Illinois, in Illinois, we've got Country Club Hills and New Albany. Also Kansas, Wichita. Little Rock, Arkansas, Little Rock, Little Rock, mm-hmm. and uh, in Louisiana, Shreveport. Where's New Orleans? Come on, come on, Nola. We love you. I don't. Know, they get they got so much good food and music, and it's like, why would you be sitting down listening to a podcast when you could just go like down the street and hear amazing music and performers? Not right now. It's quarantine, so they can listen. That's all right. Who knows what's going on in New Orleans though. <laughs> Again, thank you all so much for joining us because Adam and I, I know we just love to do this each week and it's just so much fun having you along. If you would like to support the show, you can do it in several ways. Uh, you can buy us a coffee. It's buymeacoffee.com slash A-side B-side pod. Also merch, you know, we start, we always talk about, especially for women, but it goes for everybody. Bad vibes, you know, trust your gut. And so mm-hmm. we've got a couple of shirts now that say that bad vibes save lives and Trust your guts. They're probably nuts. Those are our newest additions to the merch store. Uh, A-side, B-side podcast.square.site. Uh, we are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. You can follow us there. You can interact with us. We will. Adam will just like whatever you say, but I will actually converse with you. Adam's version of conversing is liking. Well, I, if I didn't say I like that, now I'm just saying it twice. It's redundant. Or, or, or another thing that Adam will do is just send back a 100 if you post something and if adam sends a 100 then you know he really liked it yeah that's a that's 100 likes <laughs> like i like this 100 times <laughs> all right so well this one is on new year's so happy new year and 2021 here is to a much better year than 2020 some people are saying 2020 was just the precursor it was the prelude i'm knocking on wood and like saying the prayers and throwing salt over my shoulder and doing all the things burning sage yeah burning sage everything to make sure a young priest and an old priest (laughs) just sprinkling holy water everywhere i mean get out of here 2020 and take the bad juju with you yeah Oh, man. If you have any questions or any stories that you would like to share with us, maybe you have a movie that you absolutely love that uh, it doesn't even have to relate to what Adam's been talking about, or you have a hometown story that you'd love to, like a hometown homicide that you'd like to, to share with us, or you want me to look into it, would love to hear from you. You can also leave us a voicemail on our anchor page. So let us know. We would love to hear from you. And Brooke, I will say that I have had somebody reach out to me with a local true crime story that they want us to talk about. So I will share that with you offline in spite. (laughs) Are you going to do the true crime this time and I do the movie? I'm thinking maybe that's what we do. Okay. 
but like I got to figure out like all the details and stuff. So I, I didn't want to forget again because one of our listeners who suggested this story to me has asked several times if I've mentioned it to you and I keep forgetting. Uh, so now I'm doing it live on air. So they will know that I am not forgetting. <laughs> now we all get to hold you accountable. That's I, I need to be held accountable for so many things. Uh, but this will this will help. All right. All right. So there we go. That has been another A side, B side podcast. Thanks, Adam, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Brooke. As always, thank you for listening to A-Side, B-Side podcast. If you enjoy the show, please, if you don't mind, head on over to Apple and leave us a rating or a review. And if you'd like to continue to support the podcast, you can do so by heading on over to Patreon or you can buy us a coffee, as well as buying merch on our website, asidebsidepodcast.square.site. The warmest of wishes and the happiest of holidays to you this Christmas season. From Adam and I at A-Side B-Side Podcast, please remember to wear your mask, social distance if you're around people that don't live in your household, and just be safe and happy this Christmas season. Thanks again from us here at A-Side B-Side Podcast.